Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This weekend we're continuing our series entitled Burn the Ships. And the, the burden for this series uh, was something I felt like the Lord gave me communicating, we're, we're transitioning as a church, stepping into a bit of a new season, and where God is leading us is going to require us to drop some bad habits, okay? And for some of us, some of the things we're talking about are far worse than habits. Uh, they've become debilitating behaviors and beliefs, okay? And we kicked this series off a couple weeks ago, and I want to tell you, before I explain to you what we're talking about this weekend, um, because I I assure you, I am not uh, picking uh, on anybody. I'm not poking fun at anybody. Um, This message is a message I felt like the Lord gave me a couple of months ago before the coronavirus thing was even a thing, okay? Um, But what we're going to talk about this weekend is fear, all right? And the title of this message is, What to Do When Fear Has a Hold on You. And let me just tell you right from the onset, all right? Because I know there are some watching this online who chose not to attend church this weekend in person, not because of a virus, but because of fear. And here's what I would say. We don't have a virus problem. We have a much bigger problem than a virus problem. Many of us have a fear problem, okay? Now, not please hear my heart. If, if you're taking precautions, I'm not talking about not taking precautions. And all. I'm talking about what's going on inside of you, okay? And we're going to walk through this issue of fear. And here's what you need to understand. While fear can be an emotion, never, ever forget fear is also a spirit. It's also a spirit. It's not just an emotion, all right? And as somebody, and I've talked about this uh, in messages before, as somebody who has dealt with some pretty debilitating fear throughout my life, I am not making fun of anybody or coming at anybody. I'm trying to come alongside of you and walk with you, okay? So here's what I want to do. At the beginning of this message, I'm not going to ask you to do anything, to say anything. I, I just would like us all to be on the same page, okay? If you're here and you would say, Presently, right at this moment in this season of life, I am struggling with a measure of fear in at least one or more areas of my life that is, is really, really big time. I'd even say it's debilitating. How many of you would say, I'm really battling fear? Just put your hand up, okay? Put it up, all right? It's a lot of us, okay? It doesn't make us weak. It doesn't make us bad. Here's what makes me weak when I try and fight fear by myself. That's what makes me weak. And we're going to walk through some things in regards to fear. But what I want you to understand, as we start this, Satan's goal with fear is clear. His goal is this, to get you so afraid of what might happen that he keeps you from doing what must be done. This is his goal with fear, to get you so afraid of what might happen that it keeps you from doing what must be done. Now, one of the little tricks the enemy has as it relates to fear 
is he replays the same scenario over and over and over. And one of the things I've learned is this. Oftentimes, the fear of something happening is far worse than it actually happening. And it's really easy to understand why. Because it only happens once. But when the devil replays that fear in you and me over and over and over again, it's like it's happened a thousand times. This is what he does with fear, okay? This is a tool the enemy uses on many sons and daughters of the Most High God to try and cripple them from fighting. Now, Mark chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in Scripture in regards to fear, because there's a little bit of, of us in it. We see ourselves in this story. We see Jesus with the disciples. We see the disciples not handle this storm, this scary storm, very well. And we see Christ's response in the midst of the storm. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat. and The boat began to fill with water. Jesus, on the other hand, was sleeping at the back of the boat like a gangster. He was out like a light in the midst of a really scary storm with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? We're about to die, they're saying. When Jesus woke up, he wiped the sleep out of his eyes. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Silence or peace is the word there. Peace, be still. Now, hit the pause button there. I think sometimes we think Jesus, we view him like he was some sissy. And so he stands up and says to the waves, if it's okay with you, just calm down. Well, that's not what scripture says. Scripture says Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. I wish I would have been there to hear the tone in his voice when he looked at the wind and the waves and said, you stop it right now. And they went like glass. They went calm. Okay? He, he wasn't just whispering. He was authoritatively putting the wind and the waves and the storm in their place. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then the disciples, then Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. The storm has calmed down. The disciples are terrified. Who is this man, this crazy guy? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay. As we jump into point number one, if you struggle with fear, you are not going to like point number one. I'm just telling you right now. Okay? Here's point number one. When we talk about sinking, little fears battleship, here's what you have to remember. Point number one, storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. If you grew up word of faith, you're thinking in your mind and in your heart right now, I rebuke that curse in Jesus' name. I will have calm seas all the days of my life. Well, you can name that and hope to claim it all you want, but that's not what scripture says. And I'm not, I'm not poking on you, maybe a little bit, 
okay? Because Jesus did. Listen, listen to what Jesus says in John 16, Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have difficulty. It's not going to be easy. But he doesn't stop there, and aren't you grateful he doesn't? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't fixate on the tribulation you've got to endure. Focus your thoughts on this. Preston, I've overcome the world. Okay. Here's, here's part of the issue. If you have an anti-storm policy theologically, here's part of the problem. If you don't understand that storms are inevitable, you will resent God every time you're in one. You'll get mad at him. You'll take it out on him. Because your expectation was, there will be no storms. The minute that I get saved, I give my life over to Jesus Christ, the minute I'm a believer in Jesus, the storms subside. No. Sometimes the storms get worse. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that once you get saved, Jesus is in the boat no matter how bad the storm. Any theology which eliminates tribulation is built on earthly fear, not a heavenly father. See, what the disciples wanted was for Jesus to stop the storm. But what Jesus wanted was the disciples to trust him in the midst of the storm. So if you have an anti-storm policy theologically, you need to understand some of the best revelations come from surviving the raging seas. Listen to what the disciples say at, at the end of the storm. Who is this guy? In other words, we saw a side of Jesus we've never seen before. They got a greater revelation of who Jesus was as a result of making it through the storm with him. In other words, they paid full price for that personal revelation of who Jesus is. Some of the greatest revelations you're ever going to get about God are going to come as a result of surviving the raging seas. And here's what that means. God doesn't prevent storms. He does not pre prevent storms. Why? Because they produce too much good to be bad. Storms, when we walk with God, can produce some really great things. They can strengthen us. They can increase our faith as we see God move in the midst, no matter how bad the storm. Those who are saved don't escape storms. They just know what to do in them. Okay? Storms are inevitable. Here's point number two. Fear is never the right response to a storm. Fear is never the right response to a storm. It is far more important that Jesus calmed the storm in you than the storm around you. See, we're, we're like programmed to think that we, we, we base how everything's going in our lives based upon how bad the storm is around us. If the storm is small, then things are pretty good. Here's the problem. One of the things I've learned is oftentimes the storm raging in me is far worse than the storm raging around me. 
The disciples are saying, Jesus, stop the storm. And I really think Jesus was looking beyond the wind of the waves and going, yeah, I'll take care of that. But what I'm going to address in this moment is the storm raging inside of you, not the storm raging around you. Because in order to go where I'm leading you to go, you're going to have to navigate some storms. I'm not always going to make them stop in the midst of them. I need you, Preston, to deal with the storm raging on the inside of you. And here's what the spirit of fear does. It absolutely causes you to feel so riled up that you think every rain cloud is going to kill you. I remember uh, one time I was really overwhelmed by something in the midst of really battling the spirit of fear. And I mean, I, I was in my time with the Lord and I was looking at this storm in front of me that I knew God was leading me into and I was so afraid of what it was going to cost me, what I was going to lose if I went into that storm. And I was just sitting there and I was getting angry with God, okay? And this is what I felt like happened that morning. I felt like he just kind of sauntered up next to me and I'm looking at this terrible storm in front of me, freaking out. And it's like he walked up and he just went like this. I'm responding in fear to the storm in front of me, okay? And it was like he went like this. He said, Preston, how silly is it for a sailor to be deathly afraid of the very same thing the farmer begs me for? I wanted to slap him in the face (laughs) because I felt like I got slapped. What was he saying? Preston, the problem isn't the storm. The problem is your perspective. The very thing the sailor is afraid will kill him or her is the same thing the farmer begs God for. How do you see the storm? Fear says it's going to kill you. Faith says it's going to soften the rocky soil beneath your feet and produce a harvest. How do I know I'm struggling with the spirit of fear? The answer is simple. When I believe everything it says. This is something I really had to work through. I would hear all kinds of things, and I will just expose the lie that started my, my battle with fear, the spirit of fear. <clears throat> One day, I felt like the enemy uh, when I was a younger man in my 20s. One day said to me, Preston, if you say yes to the calling of God on your life, what I did to Job will pale in comparison to what I do to you. And I didn't tell anybody. For several years, I tried to figure it out and fight it on my own. And it got worse and worse and worse. And I started responding to everything in fear. Well, here's where it started, with a lie from the devil. Can I just tell you, I I think too many believers actually believe that every voice they hear is God's. But can we just expose that many of the things we hear are actually our enemy, not our Heavenly Father? I would hear things like this. When, when my kids would leave in the morning for school, I would hear a voice say, today's the day. They're not even going to make it to high school. Okay, let's. Now, I, I was believing that lie, but I'm exposing it now, and I had to then. Think about this. Is that how God talks? I mean, really? Do you think when you wake up in the morning, the first words out of God's mouth, as he's been watching you sleep all night, you open up your eyes, your kids are going to die today. Is that how he talks? No. That's how our enemy talks. And can we not remind ourselves, if you're battling 
with the spirit of fear. You may need to do what I did. You just need to remind yourself, not everything you hear is the truth. Oftentimes, the darker the cloud, the greater the lies. And I had to say so many times out loud, that's not how God talks. And I'm sure I sound, I could be in Starbucks and I'd catch myself say it out loud. That's not how God talks. I'm sure the person behind me ordering a caramel macchiato thought I had lost my marbles. I don't care. I was hearing a lie in that moment. And I just had to say, that's not how my God talks. That is not how he talks. You don't have to believe everything you hear. And you you need to remind yourself if you're struggling with fear that your enemy is the father of lies and the author of confusion. So when you get stirred up emotionally, that's not God. I I remember one of the ways that I really got through it because I would hear all these voices lying to me all the time at, at my worst back then. And I remember I had to carry my journal around with me during that season. And because I, I unfortunately was believing the lies I was hearing too often. And one of the ways that I combated that, going from someone who believed a lie immediately the minute it was spoken to me from the enemy, is when I would hear God begin to speak and I'd be driving in my truck, I would literally find the nearest parking lot. I would stop everything and write every word I heard God say. And it was one of the ways I would shove it in the enemy's face. I will not bow down every time you talk to me. But every time he starts talking to me, I will stop everything in my life. Your words are not going to dictate my life. His word, I will follow all the days of my life. And I'm telling you, there were nights, all I can tell you this, and and it's not that I'm ashamed of it. David even said, all throughout the night, your word ministers to me. There were many nights I would play sermons all night long, all night long. There were nights I'd play worship music all night long. Why? Because I was refusing to respond in fear. God's word is one of the greatest weapons against the lies of the enemy. Now, you, you might be here and you're kind of saying in this moment, I don't, I don't really struggle with fear. I don't really have an issue with fear. I, I know friends who struggle with fear, family members who struggle with fear. But I want to walk you through two behaviors that kind of let you know whether or not you struggle with a spirit of fear, okay? Here's the first behavior. Fear causes overreaction. Fear causes overreaction. Every emotional overreaction is rooted in fear. What do the disciples say in the boat? In the middle of the storm. They don't just go wake Jesus up. What do they say once they wake him up? Don't you even care, Jesus? We're about to die. Don't you even love us? Okay, total dramatic overreaction. Jesus is sleeping. Okay? And I'm not poking fun at anybody because I have been guilty of this. When I was battling fear, I overreacted constantly. There's still some residue of it in my life. My wife and kids will tell you. I'm not proud of it, but I don't do it near like I used to. I remember one time when Riley, our daughter, was probably around four, maybe five, and, and you know how on your oven there's a handle? There's about that much space in between the door and the handle? Well, one day, Riley was playing around, and, and she got her arm stuck in between the door and the handle. Okay, The oven wasn't on, uh, so you know, on paper, nothing really bad was going to happen. 
I was in another room, Holly was in another room, and the scream that I heard come from my daughter was blood curdling. And the second I heard it, fear just, I mean, it overtook me. And I run into the kitchen, Riley's screaming, going crazy, Daddy, help me! Help me, Daddy! And listen, I'm not proud of this. Between the two of us, I was acting 10 times more like the four-year-old girl than she was. Oh, my God! What's going to happen? What's wrong? What's, did you lose an arm? I mean, I, I, I am not over-dramatizing. It was way worse than that. And we can laugh about it because it's me. All right? But I know I'm not the only one. Well, my gangster gorgeous wife walks into the kitchen and says these words. Babe, you need to get out of here right now. <laughs> she walks right up to Riley and goes, and pulls it out. <laughs> and it was over. As embarrassed as I am about that moment, I believe God used that moment as the beginning of setting me free from the bondage of fear because I realized how foolish fear is. I had somebody tell me a similar story after the last service and say, pulling in to the parking lot today, my spouse was backing up in the parking space and we have a really big truck and I literally went, ah! Because one of the lies the enemies told me was I was gonna get hurt in a car crash. And I said, isn't it wild? Your spouse was driving three miles an hour. <laughs> but that's how fear talks. It takes something small and turns it into something huge. Fear is a liar. Why was I overreacting? Because the voice I was hearing was saying, this is just the beginning. And like with many fears, this leads to death. And her arm was just stuck in front of a turned off oven. Okay? Fear causes overreaction. And if that's you if, you, if you're prone to do this, to be led by your feelings, I want you to write this one down. If you follow your feelings, you will be manipulated by your moods. It won't just be fear that leads you. Your moods will eventually lead you. Here's the second thing fear causes. Fear causes overcorrection, overreaction, and overcorrection. What does overcorrection sound like from one of the disciples in the boat with Jesus? Here's what overcorrection sounds like. They get to the other side, get off the boat, and overcorrection talks like this. I am never getting on a boat again. That's how overcorrection talks, right? I am never putting my kids in school again. I am never going into a public place again. I am never. See, this is how fear gets us to talk. I remember when I was a freshman in college, I was dating a girl, I told this story before, and she was a year younger than me, and I found out one day she was engaged to someone else and we hadn't even broken up. Take that out for a spin. And I went, to, I went into a pretty dark little period of depression. I stopped going to class. It was my first semester in college. Didn't go to one class for the rest of the semester. Finished with a 1.4 GPA that, that semester. 
If you're a college student, I just want to advise you, not a wise strategy to kick off college, okay? It's hard to get out of that hole, but I stopped going to class. I isolated myself, and I laid in bed all day, and I watched The Andy Griffith Show. I watched I Dream of Jeannie. I watched The Cosby Show. I watched the shows I used to watch at my grandfather's house that made me feel safe. See, I was running in the wrong direction, looking for peace in the wrong place. I isolated. Isolation is not God's method of protection. Demolition is. He likes to destroy your foes, not have you running from them in isolation. Fear causes us to overreact. Overcorrection is fear's weak attempt at protection. When I overreact, I will usually overcorrect. And that is simply fear's weak attempt at protecting myself. This leads us to point number three. Okay, and this is the big one. How do I burn fear's boat? How do I sink fear's little battleship? I'm going to give you a couple things. Here's the first one. Focus on what God said, not what you see. Focus on what God said, not what you see. Let me draw your attention back to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. The first verse of the story that I think we just read right over and get to the storm. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's, let us cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus had already said, hey boys, we're going to the other side. So then why in the middle of the storm were they freaking out like they were going to drown in the middle of the lake? I'll tell you why. Because in the midst of fear steering our boat, we listen to it more than we listen to him. And Jesus had already said, hey, let's go to the other side. Before we started this church, the Lord gave me several words, and one of them didn't seem very encouraging at the time. He said, Preston, this church isn't going to start the way everyone expects. Season number one is going to disappoint many. But season number two, many will be rendered speechless by the work of my hand. And I remember on the toughest days, those first two years, a couple times I said to the Lord, this is not what I saw. Maybe you said that before. This is, it gets hard and you go, this is not what I saw. And I remember one morning I felt the Lord say, that may be true. This isn't what you saw, but it most certainly is exactly what I said. And Preston, remember, I told you, I'll take care of everything. He said, have I taken care of everything so far? And I said, yes, Lord. He said, then you need to stop paying attention to what you see. And you need to focus on what I've already said. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet in the darkest of stormy clouds when fear is trying to guide me. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Focus on what God said, not on what you see. Here's the second thing. Focus on who is with you, not what is coming at you. Flip over to Psalm 23 if you put a marker there. One of the most famous psalms that David wrote is the 23rd Psalm. And there are a couple of verses I just want to draw your attention to as we wrap up. 
Verse 4 of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Incidentally, have you ever wondered why yay starts off that sentence? Yay. It's not that kind of yay, okay? Yay, even though I go through the darkest of times. It's not like that. Even though is what this means. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he had no fear? Nope, that's not his why. Listen to what he says next. I will fear no evil because... For you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we read that part of the verse and we get this image of this really sweet, emaciated shepherd with a rod and a staff following the sheep on a really steep incline, hoping not to fall. Okay, This is not what David is saying in the 23rd Psalm. David is saying, hey God, let's just get this straight. Even when I walk through the darkest of times, I choose, because remember, fear is a choice. I choose to fear no evil. I will fear no evil. A, because you're with me. But B, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, why did the shepherd's rod and staff comfort David? Because David knew as a shepherd what the rod and the staff were used for. See, a shepherd would use the rod and the staff to beat back the wolves who came to attack the sheep. And David says, God, in essence, thank you. Thank you. When these wolves are trying to attack me, one of the things that comforts me the most in the midst of attack is your rod and your staff are beating back my enemies. Okay, what are you more focused on? The wolves barking loudly at you, coming against you? Or the shepherd who is with you beating those wolves back with the rod and the staff? That leads us to the next thing that I've learned really helps to sink fear's battleship. Number three, be courageously offensive. Be courageously offensive. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the ability to ignore it and advance. See, we we taught our kids from an early age. The goal, when you're in the midst of anything difficult, is not to walk through it without fear. You're going to be afraid at times. The goal is not, well, don't be scared. The goal is to be able to see that you're afraid, to understand God is with you, to be able to ignore what fear is saying and advance no matter the cost. That's courage. You see, every occasion for fear is an opportunity to be brave. Every occasion for fear is an opportunity to be brave. The number one sign of courage is obedient offense. See, the big thing about the enemy trying to scare you so that you'll just curl up in the fetal position is he doesn't want you to play offense. He likes you best when you play defense. But if you've read the end of the book, victory is all along the way. Our God reigns, so fear should not.
How offensive are you? See, I didn't realize when I was going through fear how defensive I'd become. The more I overreacted, the more defensive I actually was. I was playing defense. And then one day, I had, I had gotten so fed up with losing to fear, I went on the offense. I started playing offense. And you know what I learned? If you're struggling with fear, you need to hear this deep down in your heart. The devil is more afraid of you than you are of him. Here's why. He is afraid of what you will do holding God's hand when you are not afraid anymore. And so he's trying to freak you out just like he tried to freak me out. And for a season, I stopped playing offense. But listen, one of the reasons I've devoted my life to ministry is not just because I like the job. It's because this is one of the best ways for me to be offensive in my life. Is to lead others in a charge to be offensive against all of God's enemies. That brings us to the last thing. How do you sink fear's battleship? Fourth thing, don't forget to take your seat when it's over. And I love this one. Don't forget to take your seat when it's over. Verse 5 of Psalm 23, David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay, this is filthiness theologically right here. I love that this is the way our God talks. God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Have you ever read that verse and wondered, what do we do at that table? Like after the storm, after we make it through and we sit down at the table in the presence of our enemies, and let me point this out because some people actually believe theologically that that scripture means that the enemies sit at the table. No, 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 it's not what Psalm 23 verse five says, in the presence of my enemies. In other words, it's Jesus and the disciples in the boat after the wind and the waves have calmed down, breaking down the game film. Here's what I believe happens at this table after the storm, that God prepares for you in the presence of every one of your enemies. He sits with you and celebrates every step where you crush the enemy beneath your feet. He celebrates every act of bravery. He celebrates victory as his and your enemies look. It's as though God says, you just sit right there and you watch us celebrate how the two of us just dominated you. I want to sit at that table all the days of my life. But here's what you have to know. In order to sit with him at that table, I first got to be brave enough to navigate the valley of the shadow of death, the storms, the trials, the tribulation. You don't have to be afraid. God is with you. He is with you. Fear does not have to have a hold on you any longer. Thank mm -hmm. you.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.